Reg. It's Stone. And we are here at the Grammys Lives, kicking it back. We're watching Doja Cat on stage, being very Doja Cat-ish. Considering the chatter about the so-called slap, me and Stone have an idea to get our podcast on the map. Right now, we're drawing straws to see who's going to go on stage and start heckling Doja Cat, where one of us will come up and immediately beat that person up. <laughs> and knowing we're WWE fans, we'll make it look all nice and professional, and we figured the viral moment will go viral, and bam, Registone everywhere. That's right. Or probably we'll just get arrested and be like two unknown black dudes interrupted mm. the Grammys, and uh, we'll be in jail for a very long time. You know, or, or maybe we get shot. Womp womp. Prob- shot, yeah, probably shot. Yep, shot. yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, y'all, it, it, it's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Since we talked to y'all, um, we look, we were traveling, vacays, uh, life got in the way, uh, it is what it is. Uh, we missed the slap. Like, I was actually landing and like, I was, I was traveling, I, I was like going back to New York and I didn't have my phone on. And I turned my phone on and like, like, I was like, yo, like, oh, this is, looks funny. This is a stage bit, blah, blah, blah. And no, no, no. Like, we, we out here slapping people. <laughs> on stage <laughs> and, and it, it was a cool viral moment you know black twitter was loving it and then it was it was all about the think pieces from that point on oh. every writer every freelance writer was just like yo son i'm gonna eat i'm gonna eat this whole month <laughs> off the slap <laughs> i'm gonna have think pieces we're gonna link it to feminism violence race color the grammys hollywood deletes I'm I'm with eighteen articles. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have my next four months rent paid off my, this my, shit. my favorite is Will Smith shares the voice and the passion of the people of Ukraine. <laughs> Dead ass. That, that was that's that serious. I love it because they're literally they're in their <laughs> shitty apartment in like Chicago. Also, I'm like, I gotta make this, I gotta make these words, bruh. Two two hundred two thousand words. I'm, I'm I'm it's set. My vacation's paid for. <laughs> oh man. Uh. Well. Well. You know. I didn't even realize that the Grammys were coming up. Like a week after the Oscars. Like basically due to COVID, it was pushed back. Also, they moved it to Las Vegas because there's no rules out there versus California. Uh-oh. Or New York, where you know we 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 still like locked down apparently, um, but I had no idea. It was, like snuck up on me. It's like oh shit, like the Grammys are this weekend, um, and you know no slaps, you no know no slaps, no slaps. I no. don't know. I don't know if a modern award show can get by with no slaps. I know. I, <laughs> I think once you've gone slap, I expect at least one. You know wrestling moment every award show they should have this chairs on stage come out there like stone cold you know what i'm saying i expect that from now on i i mean look like the 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 format of the basic award show has not changed in like a hundred years y'all gotta spice it up you know i think personally every award show nominee should be able to bring in one mma fighter you know what i'm saying they get escorted like in the ring you know what i'm saying maybe you have 50 cents rapping you know so like you know let's say somebody's getting an award maybe it's like chris stapleton and you've got like fucking Eminem rapping on the way up there, and then maybe you know Travis Scott comes out from the top belt and drop kicks him. I think it's, I think I think we're ready for this kind of entertainment. But even like you know when like you know they announce the winner and they cut to like the loser, 
And the loser's just like, oh, yeah, I'm so happy for him. It's like, <laughs> polite clap. Like, I want, like, the loser to be like, fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> I worked hard. <laughs> Throwing <know>? a drink. <laughs> yeah, like, none of that. None of that even, you know. Um, it's an yeah. honor to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, um. I actually watched the Grammys start to finish. Whew. Like, I, I knew I had, we had to we had to talk about this. It's been a minute since we we you know recorded podcast. We had to come back strong. I'm like, you know what? I'm going I'm going to immerse myself in this drudgery for the people. You know, he um, suffered for our sins. He suffered for our sins. Like this is like what? I like our third or fourth Grammys episode. Well, we've been doing this shit for a long time now. You know, so I, I had to. I had to. Um, and I will say this. I was not annoyed. I ended up watching the whole thing. I heard the performances overall were solid. Like, it, like they, I don't know what focus groups they ran or whatever, but they, they I, you know, look, I'm not saying it is the best award show I've, I've seen. Um, is there probably better ways I could spend like three and a half hours of my time, but it didn't feel like it dragged, right? Like it didn't feel like, oh shit, like it's only like an hour in. And I feel like for the most part, the Grammys has always felt like that way where it's just like dragging, you know, because everything felt like so unnatural and so contrived. Um, I think from a performance standpoint, for the most part, they just let the artists perform their shit. You know, no mashups, no crazy, like, oh, we got to get, like, Bono, Kendrick. And, and Pavarotti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, the ghost of Frank Sinatra, right? Like, like, <laughs> like none of that stuff. Like the, And the, I would say, like, the, the only time that actually happened was with her, which, again, like, Look, I think her is great. I saw her live. I saw her live. And, uh, yeah, like, great show. Um, I will say this. She's been on the Grammys for now for the past 10 years. Holy shit. Like, there, <laughs> she has dirt on somebody to the point where, like, like that, like, that is a bribery for, us to her, for her to perform. <laughs> Having that said, she killed it. Like, destroyed it. Right. And that was a contrived like Grammy performance. It was like her, Lemmy Lemmy Kravitz, Travis Barker, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Right. And you would think that, oh, this is like the same old shit that they try like every year. And no, like, you know, I mean, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis came in for like five seconds. They didn't need to be there. They also might have some things on some dirt on some people. <laughs> but like the combination of her on guitar, Lenny on guitar, and Travis on drums. I want to see that concert, you know? So, and there's just like multiple moments like that um, where they just got it right. Um, like Billy Eilish tore up BTS, which again, like I'm not a huge BTS, the like K-pop fan. I, I get it, you know? And I think like they're able to like bring out this thing out of all of the artists where even if you're not a fan, you kind of understand like why they're nominated, why they're there. Um, and, I think like letting the artists shine and like letting the artists like really kind of like showcase like what they bring to the world as opposed to like having them on a bill with 50 other people. 
I think, you know, just makes things a lot more, I don't know, just like made it more enjoyable for me. So, you know, I haven't had a chance to actually watch the Grammys because, you know, I was out there chilling, you know, in the yachts as usual. Um, but I saw a lot of the clips and, and everything like usually you always hear about stinkers where it's like, oh, this sucked. It was boring. Everybody killed it. Even like a Billie Eilish. I saw two things where it's like, all right, you know, she was kind of quote unquote locked out, which is a good thing. I do think that one thing I've kind of realized with the way the Grammy goes is that it's kind of almost good. They kind of fall out of love with you because they kind of let you rock. You know, it's that whole new best new artist kind of curse where suddenly it's like you're everywhere and you disappeared. But even her, like, you know, wearing the fucking... Um, the, the Foo Fighter drummer T-shirt as a as a tribute. I mean, the only real negative chatter I heard about the Grammys this year was, as usual, the the the, the in memoriams, the you know, in the memory fucking everybody who died this year was kind of woefully missed a lot of black artists, you know, and that was kind of sucked. But that's kind of business as usual for the Grammys. But this time, the chatter was really, really, really positive. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and I and I think it's just again, like I. I I don't know what the ratings are. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know if people care anymore, but at least they're trying, you know, at least. Yeah. I have a word question for you. Do you think those couple of years, cause we had a discussion about this where during the pandemic, they really couldn't rely on the same old tricks. So a lot of the award shows would kind of do video sets and everything else. And the artists kind of had to really like dance for their supper. Because yeah. they didn't really have the idea of where, you know, we'll have the gospel out there. We'll have Dave Grohl doing backflips. It feels that, you know, during that time, there were a lot of, like we were saying, it's like it was a good time watching these award shows because artists are doing kind of cool, interesting things. I remember you had like Moses Sumley and like a forest and like a white field somewhere and all this other crazy shit. You think that's kind of been like as a result, like they've kind of all stepped their game up or realized that, hey, we don't have to do that fucking baz Luchhausen, you know crazy 800 people on stage type shit yeah i mean that's actually a really good point actually when you think about it yeah because like i i I, and i do feel like there was like a really cool era of award shows where like performances were basically music videos because they had to um and yeah that's a really good point Uh, i will say with the grammys like they kind of went back to like their old kind of song and dance you know like where it's just like stage performances but um but yeah like i think you know, maybe because of COVID, like you can't just have like, <laughs> I don't know, like Eddie Vedder, or, like Bono out here. <laughs> you gotta protect them. <laughs> the new sub variant out here. Um, yeah, maybe that's that's why. But I, I I hope it's like something where, again, like there's not a rush to like go back to the old because I I, I feel like the you know. If that's the case, then this is how it should be because again, like it just shows like the artists like in their prime, basically. So yeah, and the other thing I I, I chatter was a in, in memoriam. I how do you pronounce it? Why can't my brain is not working? In memoriam. In memoriam. Thank you, Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> it's the end of the workday. Um, the other thing I heard is as usual, no surprise, surprise. A lot of the hip hop rap album stuff got kind of got cut from the main fucking show. Tyler won an award, things like that. The only thing you really had was Nas kind of holding it down with a medley, and that's about it. Yeah, and and I will say it's probably not as noticeable because you did have some things that were right in the world. Um, number one, Jasmine Sullivan winning Best R&B Album. Awesome. Um, you know, which, again, like Hotel should have been also in consideration for Album of the Year, but, you know. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> 
it is what it is. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think, like, yeah, it was, you know, they had one hip-hop, like, you know, award on the live telecast, and it was, like, when Baby Keem won, which is very, you know, it's like Kendrick Lamar's cousin, so it's just kind of like this nepotism thing, as opposed to, like, Tyler, like, winning and having its acceptance speech some like somewhere on the ranch somewhere <laughs> <laughs> on IG Live. Um, yeah, I, I, I think like there was just so much black on display that maybe if you were, you know, if you just wanted all black people to like win, you're okay like with the overlook of hip hop, <laughs> you know? It was very hip hop adjacent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like, uh, Jasmine Sullivan went on like you know R and B album. I think R and B performance. Um, Silk Sonic, which I I'm not surprised they won. Um, I think wow. Bruno Mars is a Grammy darling. We talk um, about industry plants. That's definitely a Grammy plant. Silk Sonic. As they were like, if we don't win an award, we're burning this bitch down. I, I, and I will say this. I I'm okay with it. Like it's two dudes at like at the you know at their prime. You know, like they musically compliment each other. The music is derivative as fuck, but it's catchy as fuck as well because Bruno is like an amazing songwriter, is Grammy bait, you know. But I, I'm also not, not mad. <laughs> and and I would make an argument. It's not, you know, even though it's a, it was a twist because it's, you know, going back to the sixties and seventies, as far as the sound's concerned. We forget white artists do it all the time. Like Lady Gaga is like the go-to for us. Like we've got this old aging white man. <laughs> yeah. Throw a Lady Gaga duet song together and bam, here's our Grammys. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they, they got record of the year, which I, you know, didn't think they would actually get. Um, oh no, song of the year, which is a songwriting award, which to be honest, like Olivia Rodrigo, like that song is actually pretty dope when you think about it. Um, from a songwriting perspective, but you got that like they, you know they had like a pretty decent sweep, um, and yeah, like even Doja Cat winning, I wasn't even mad just because again like, fuck Doctor Luke, but like that's catchy ass music and like SZA finally got to be on stage as she should have been like three years ago. <laughs> three years ago, fuck. Yeah. So. I, I think like you know yeah it's like a weird thing it's like okay well we can't we can only have one thing black we're going to like <laughs> lift up the R&B this year <laughs> and we're going to deprioritize the hip hop you know and hopefully the blacks don't notice <laughs> you know um, but it's like a weird thing because like again like when you're cheering for everybody black, it's just kind of like, oh shit, there's black people on stage. <laughs> so you can't be too mad. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, with Doja, like I said, it's I, 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 in my old age, I've come around to the idea of a really well-crafted pop song is really hard. And like I said, with artists like that, it's hard to kind of, it's kind of, it's hard to hate. Like we've discussed where it's like, at the end of the day, she's got it, even though she's evil. And, you know, that's probably half the people on stage anyway, so we can't, I can't hate too hard. Yeah, and that's, like, a really interesting thing, too, because, you know, she cried, um, you know, like, and she was just like, yo, this really, really means a lot. And, you know, it's, like, this really interesting thing in terms of just, like, I don't know, like, she always says she's, she's retiring from music, right? Like, two weeks ago, she said she's going to retire from music. Like, you know, I guess she was involved in something where she didn't show up to, like, a show or something, and she got a bunch of racist tweets or some shit like that. Um, 
I, I will say this, like, as, as much as I want to hate Doja Cat, the more I, like, listen to the music, it's really fucking good. And also, too, like, when she broke down on stage, I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like, you know, she is human, you know, and, and like, these are real things happening. And obviously, like, she's young. Like, how, is she, how you know, she probably didn't have the right people if she's still hanging around with Dr. Luke, which I think she's under contract with, right? Like, you know, so, like, obviously she's trying to navigate this, like, whole industry thing, and, like, to get rewarded for that and get awarded for that, I think it's, like, a huge, huge deal for her. So, um, it just, like, made her way more endearing, you know, at the end of the day. And also, in her defense, she has, like, and we've both seen it, she has had a trajectory. She was somebody where she dropped an R a pure R&B album years ago, the album didn't really burn down the airways, was sitting there making beats, going on IG Live, leveraging social media, you know, eventually kind of came onto a viral song, still was on social media, you know, we find a little bit more about Doja, she was still more problematic, but that, that motherfucker was working, making videos, making albums, you know, it's, it's, at a certain point, you see the trajectory of somebody where it's not like she's a pop star, like kind of blessed, she's at an industry plant, you saw her kind of tear her way into that stage. And that's what, to a certain extent, again, like we discussed, a lot of problematic issues. But I think that, you know, if you're somebody of a fan of music, it's a fan of hard work, you have to give it up. You may not want to support her, which is understandable, but I have to give props what props do. And you kind of see what she did. And I think that's the idea of, I, I would even say what the Grammys want to hold up to. Maybe not necessarily her politics. But the idea of a young musician kind of sitting there working on a craft, honing it, getting better, better, kind of coming into their own, it's a great story. I mean, it's probably a story you really can't tell because, you know, racial feet in the chat room. But ultimately, I think looking at her trajectory, you know, when that autobiography comes out, whatever, in 20 years where she's doing a tour, if I guess, who would, who would her old man peer be when she's doing Lady Gaga in like 15 years? Hmm. hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's like her and Jay Z. Yeah, <laughs> the Doja Cat Jay Z album. Yeah, they're all wearing tuxes and gowns. I don't know. I yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> but you know, like I said, similar to Gaga, where Gaga was back in the days, you know, playing piano lounges in Lower East Side. You see the glow up. So yeah. I, I have to give props to props to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And the fact that she like didn't think she was gonna win, so she went to the bathroom. Again, like, I don't know if that's staged or not. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's, it's, it's enduring. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I, you know, even like um, John Baptiste winning album of the year, which I think a which lot I of people, loved. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of people were a little salty about that because it wasn't a popular album. But the dude's performance was so fucking like incredible that you're like, OK, and like I, I'm a John De Baptiste fan. I'm not going to say I, I listen to the album. I think some of his work is like his more jazzy stuff. I think is really cool. His kind of more like funk stuff is very like you can tell. Like, a, yeah, like a 75 year old white guy. Like yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but again, like the dude puts in work. You know, like the dude is a, a ultra talented musician and he puts in work. And it's not like. It, it, it's not like, you know, like they're just like pulling people names out of the hat. Like, you know, obviously he has a system and he has a people and like he makes music that, that maybe curries towards voters. But, you know, I like, it's not like uh what was it? Like Jeff Toll like back in the day when like best metal, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
Um, so I will say in that vein, there was a white reggae act that won best reggae. I, so Grammy's going to Grammy. <laughs> the, the one classic white guy of dreads dressed in sneakers. I saw that it's, it's out there, you know, it's, it's Grammy's going to Grammy, you know, Grammy's gonna <laughs> Grammy. <laughs> so they're not, they're, they're not getting off scot-free. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, for the most part, yeah, like I, I and again, like they, they should continue to like have our judgment and scrutiny, you know, because like obviously you can easily fall back into old patterns. But, you know, like like I, I, will, I will say I, I will I will give you a not like a thumbs up this year, but just kind of like a side thumb, <laughs> you know, still going to look at Good you. Try. With a little Good scout. try. Good <laughs> try. Good effort. Good effort. <laughs> uh, what else is there? All right. Uh, next thing before we touch, speaking of live musicians, um, like I was telling someone, I ran to an interesting article. We kind of have been talking a lot about COVID and what it means to be a performing artist and how it affects your bottom line and balancing that between the safety of you as an artist, your fans, your family, everything else. Um, Pitchfork had an article recently talking about basically the trials and tribulation of touring during COVID. And I thought it was kind of fascinating because the crux of it was less about like, hey, you know, we're trying to stop the disease. Hey, you know, this virus is real culture war stuff. But basically talking about the hard practicalities of touring where we're kind of in the era of where, you know, you've got people in major tours in charge just of COVID safety. We're in an era of where insurance is getting taken on big tours because if a tour gets canceled, money got to get thrown around. You can't just stop certain things. And it kind of touched on the reality of what it means to be touring as an artist where, you know, you're out there, you're playing a gig, you've got 15 dates, you're on date fucking seven, and then suddenly one of your band members gets COVID you know, that's going to be a week or two out of the game. And that, you know, you're right now, the band member catches fucking COVID in fucking Michigan. You're supposed to be in fucking, you know, Seattle. You had dates in between. The tour gets canceled and now it affects your pocket. So it was kind of fascinating where less about appealing towards, you know, I guess the, 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 the goodness of our fellow Americans is the idea of where, hey, on a practical level, you're kind of fucking with these people's fucking pockets where, you know, ultimately there's a push and pull between performers who want the audience to mask up, not necessarily, and obviously this is a big positive because nobody wants to see the fans die, not necessarily for protection of the audience or even themselves, but just the idea of like, hey, if COVID happens in that camp, it's a wrap. Like, you know, if you're out here opening up for the Chili Peppers, fantastic fucking opportunity. But if, like, Brad, the fucking lighting guy, gets sick and you don't have time to fucking replace him, that might be it for you. You know what I'm saying? Who's going to work that arena lights? And and I think that's what I loved about it, where kind of just the practicality of, like, what it means to be touring. And also, I think what it means for us as music fans, because me and Stone went to a show and you kind of get into that weird idea of, am I masking up? Am I not masking up? Do I not mask when I drink the beer? Am I talking to my friend? Do I lower it? Because God knows in those venues, it's hard to hear somebody talk and you've got this other thing in front of them. So it's, it's, it, it was very interesting where it's kind of a, a story that you've been ban- bantering around for a lot during COVID about how do we kind of get back, but also that other level of like, hey, 
COVID also affects people's pockets on a very fundamental level. We have to think about that also, besides the general the general health concerns. Yeah, that that is super crazy too, because you know, like just talking, you know, like, like putting on a show is a huge, huge, huge effort. And I just remember, like, there are artists who, you know, like they've been sitting on the sidelines for two years, and like November, December, January, they book like their tours. And they they played one or two shows, and then like you know, they got COVID, um, you know, or the venues closed or like whatever, and then they have to cancel it, and now they're back on the sidelines again, and you know that's like money wasted, you know, like like rescheduling flights, hotels, things like that, deposits, like this is like a lot of like just energy that goes into booking a tour, and that you know when you have a tour canceled. And, you know, not just, you know, like, of course, arena bands have insurance, but just like you're you're kind of touring a musician like that's your bag. Um, but it's also that your bag that you didn't even have for like the previous two years. Right. So um, I've just seen like some tours get canceled and they haven't been rescheduled. Right. Like, you know, people who have to travel overseas, they get canceled. They go have to go back to Europe like. Like they have to raise more money or get more money to like get back to the states, right? Um, so it's and it's kind of a crazy thing, right? Because like, part of me is just kind of like, you know, yeah, like like I want live music to return, but I'm also like super anxious about like being out in the middle of like a thousand people. Um, but I also like, I don't know, like it's a very complicated thing. And I, I think we should, like, recognize the complicatedness of it. You know, we can't just, like, judge people and say, oh, like, like, why are you going to a live show, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, or judge an artist for, like, you know, wanting to, like, book a tour. Because, again, this is, like, 90% of their, their like, income is, is touring, basically. Um, and I don't know. Like, we're back, we're in the Wild West, right, where we're just very much, like, every state, city municipality venue has their own rules, you know? So it's hard for me to kind of understand, like, should I show my Vax card or not? Should I mask up? Like, you know, so, yeah, I just, I, I really hope that we get to a point in this pandemic where we have some clarity because, like, yeah, it's, it's this uncertainty is just, like, it's not as worse as being locked down, but, you know, at least being locked down, you have only have one option is to say you stay your ass home. <laughs> You know. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's wide open, and and I think the big issue, at least from my takeaway, was the idea of where it's like, yeah, I think, and I don't, want, I hate having everything be a political issue, but ultimately they're like, look, no matter how you feel, understand that it's not even really about politics. Is that at the end of the day, you know, we want to have these protocols, you know, wear your mask when you have a chance to, yada yada yada, not because we care about the health, although that's a bonus. But just because at the end of the day, no matter where you lie politically, somebody gets a fucking is test positive for COVID, that insurers or something like, nah, get your ass, stay your ass at home. <laughs> There's no choice. It's no like, oh, I'm going to do the COVID show anyway. I'm asymptomatic. It's no, you're, you're an insurance liability. And I think that we kind of have to factor that in where it's like, hey, you know, you need to kind of, you know, be cognizant of the relationship between us as fans and the people on stage, you need to weigh, again, your comfortable level as far as going to live shows. And if you do go to those live shows, the protocols they have in place, 
maybe it's best to kind of, you know, follow them just because at the end of the day, it's not even necessarily about you. It's like you came out there to pay money to go support a band you love because those songs got you through a period of time. It'd be fucked up if you show up there and because your nasty ass is the one who fucking got the sniffles and now fucking their asses is back fucking working triple overtime like fucking, you know, at their shitty day jobs. And on to new music. I'm going to start, we're going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to start with my little band and we'll go into a, a person that we both love that's a curry, but also of Soul Glow. I'll say right now, definitely running for my album of the year. It's a band I've talked about in the past. Uh, they play hardcore punk. Not necessarily, not necessarily more like the modern hardcore punk, which is definitely more, not definitely more indebted, but definitely a focus in like metal theatrics, a lot of chuck and chuck guitar, but more of the frantic early punk you might hear with like Black Flag or Bad Brains or Minor Threat. Um, after dropping some EPs and the LP, they signed an Epitaph record, which is basically like the Def Jam of punk, which has been a Def Jam of punk for like fucking decades now, the more I think about it. You've got a lot of punk, popular punk labels, but that's still the marquee punk. That's it. That's that's the that's the alpha and omega. It gets out the epitaph, and you've made it as a punk band. And um, they dropped their record "Diaspora Problems" um, and immediately critically acclaimed. Writes up right up in the Guardian. Writes up in the obviously Pitchfork gave it best new music. Um, long story short, what I find fascinating about the band is the idea of where beyond the fact of where their sound is very covers a wide range of punk. The vocals are very interesting because there's always a comparison they hate to bad brains, but you kind of can't help it because, not necessarily because of their skin color, but because of the way the vocalist kind of throws out his words. It's very compressed and quick, similar to HR from Bad Brains. But with HR from Bad Brains, where he's kind of playing with like rhythm and, and ideas of flow, with... Soul Glow, it's very frantic and very angry and very, like I said, every song sounds like he's having a mental breakdown. And I think the best example would be the very first song titled Who's Gonna Beat My Ass, (laughs) where it begins off where there's a bong rip and, you know, there's almost an indie rock circa, like, fucking aughts kind of kicks in where Titus Andronicus almost like quick guitar riff. And that's almost a very funny song because it's going to be who's going to beat my ass and it's a little chance. But then there's a certain part of the song where it breaks down, the instruments slow down, you hear a little drum solos, you figure it's the end of the song. But the song kind of kicks in again and it just turns much darker where the who's going to beat my ass in the beginning was almost kind of fun. He just starts screaming, can I live? Can I live with these like blood curling screams that almost have nothing to do with the song? Talking about how he's got a gun in his pocket and he's drunk and and all this darkness and I think that's what's kind of fascinating about the band of where they are very political, extremely political actually, but as opposed to hitting it from a rage against the machine of where hey let's talk politics or let's say a Bruce Springsteen where it's very socioeconomic. Same thing of like, let's say, uh, not socioeconomic, but like, you know, very man on the street stories where Bruce Springsteen is very much like, look at the poor farmer in Idaho. You've got Marvin Gaye where something similar, whereas it's like, hey, I'm walking around these streets, look at my, look at, look at, look at, look what's happening in the ghetto. What I love about Soul Glow is that it's a very unique perspective because it's almost like they do a very good job of capturing 
just how insane it is. And actually, I'll put a comparison to you. It reminds me a lot, obviously not as angry of it as Atlanta. What I think about Atlanta and Soul Glow is the idea of where, you know, we have a lot of discourse about what it means to be marginalized, what it means to live, mean not to live with privilege, but it's also a weird fucking thing to do. Like there's a lot of absurd situations. There's a lot of frustration that's kind of built in there that doesn't really cap get captured in like fuck the police. There's a lot of so, and I think that what's great about Soul Glow is it captured, and I thought the picture review kind of covered it because it's very extreme music. It's very angry. You know, there's a couple of songs that could kind of get some, I won't say necessarily radio play, but could kind of sneak on to maybe like a punk channel. But for the most part, it's just very chaotic, which I love because I think the idea of punk music is that for an old guy like me, it shouldn't necessarily be 100% relatable. It should be off a little bit. Every generation kind of has to figure out its own sound. Same thing with hip hop to a certain extent. But what I love is the idea of in the Pitchfork interview, they were like, hey, even if the music is not for you, you should really, really take a look at the lyrics. And they were like, even the lyrics alone would have him very much an interesting poet of somebody who's kind of very good at kind of saying what's happening in the world today and I think that's what kind of is great about this band where I can't necessarily recommend it because it is very extreme music but I do think what they're doing is important and while it might not be the easiest thing to digest I would definitely recommend it go into their band camp read some of the lyrics like I said there's a lot of interesting things there like my, I think not necessarily my favorite song but a song I thought was very kind of cool idea was a song called Dripponomics where it's um, their quote unquote one rap song on the album, where it's basically talking about how to survive. They buy Nike, Yeezy, Teflar, Birkin, and flip it online. And basically that's how they survive in capitalism and that's how they make food to eat. So it's kind of fascinating where it could have been very much like, you know, stop buying high fashion products, fashion products bad, which you might get in a Rage Kids Machine song. It's very much like, hey, we've got to exploit these little corners of capitalism and these hype beasts because this is the only way for us to kind of survive, you know? And, I, and like I said, it's just a very cool way of kind of analyzing what's kind of going on in the world sociopolitically without pandering or without kind of taking the idea of, hey, on a basic level, these are human people kind of going through some shit and you kind of have to respect the humanity. So yeah, that's, that's, I, I fucking love it. Long story short. Word, word. I will definitely <laughs> check that out. That That is a review, fam. That That is like... <laughs> I tried. Like I said, I was, I was, bro, I was out, you know, again, working from home. I've been kind of going back to the office. I was raging against the cubicle, man. I was, I was in there like, in my office, hooking up, about to pick up that laptop and beat my boss to death, man. It's like, ah, oh. like I said, it's, and it's cool to kind of, like I said, it's, I do think that, you know, it's, again, we've kind of seen in the last couple of years where to a certain extent, progressive politics has become kind of a fashion. Yeah, and it's just cool, kind of hearing something messy about it. Where you know we know what to say, we know the pronouns, we know that Black Lives Matter. We know, you know, in, in leftist circles, it's, it's it's there's a playbook to kind of follow. And I think what kind of gets lost is the idea is it's messy. Like if you're a gender queer person, you know, getting spit on, that's not something that could be kind of get you know solved by like you know March. Yeah, it just fucking sucks. And I I think that that weird like chaotic anger, like this unfocused anger that's not really doesn't even know how to you know that anger where you have to process it <laughs> it's cool they kind of captured it right when it hits you but you don't even know how to deal with it it's just like yo it's fucked up so yeah to them. yeah wow yeah, yeah I, i'll definitely check that out um so another album that i started listening to i did not finish but the starting of the listening to the album well i was just like oh shit i need to finish this album uh, but I definitely want to talk about it here. Uh, was the new Denzel Curry album? 
which is melt my eyes, see your future. Um, so Denzel Curry is a Miami-based rapper um, or Florida-based rapper, and you know I think came of age during kind of the SoundCloud era. And I know like a lot of people kind of lump yep. him in with like you know XXX or like you know Kodak uh, Black. Like there's like a lot of people who came from that South Florida, like Lil Pump, like just like that South Florida scene. Raider well, Clan, remember Raider Clan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Space I, Ghost Perp. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Space Ghost, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, Denzel Curry has just been like completely. I, I've never felt like he was from that scene. Um, I think Zoo was a great album. That, Fantastic. You know, I I think I caught late. Like, and if I caught it at the time, um, it would have been my top ten of the year. Like I, I think like it channel, channeled such an energy um, that I just haven't seen in hip hop since like Onyx, you know. Like it's just like a really kind of ragey album, but just like also with Miami eight hundred eight bass, and it's just like it just like really kind of like you know I think um, combined a lot of those things in a way that just didn't that sounded very authentic. Um, he's been popping up on a lot of Lucy's. Produced by like, like Glasper, I think like Knife Wonder, like etc. Right. Um, so I wasn't surprised when I heard the sound. Uh, I meet my eyes, see your future, because I, I, he has like a few like Glasper Lucy's, where it's just like rhyming over kind of um, more boom bap beats. But I, I think like, you know there's a surprise element there because I think like again like people are like oh SoundCloud rapper um, but also too like this is a very introspective album and it, you know it's just kind of like a it's almost like a reintroduction or it's just like it's it feels like a concept album to me you know and I'm here for it you know I, I, I feel like he has a cadence that works well over so many different styles. Yes. <laughs> but it's still his own. Um, and like, I'm just like, whoa, you, you can actually pull this off, you know? Like, um, and you know, he, he talks about like, you know, like uh, Melt Session, he talks about like thoughts of suicide. Like he's going through some shit as well. And I think like him shifting to this kind of like more, I think, quote unquote, traditional hip hop format kind of lends to that more introspection. You know, like it de- definitely seems like more smoke weed in the basement music as opposed to like rage out in the club music. You know, um, so yeah, like I, I, you know, that's my thoughts on the, listening to the first six songs, and I'm really excited to hear more. Um, I think he's probably one of the more underrated artists from this era. Um, so yeah, like I'm happy to kind of see him thrive pretty creatively or continue to thrive creatively. Yeah, no, the, those it's the first six songs capture pretty much most of the album. Towards the end, maybe there's one or two. There's a song with Slow Tie, which is a little bit more drum and bass indebted, but it's definitely like his, like, I want to say 90s boom bap because I know he's kind of referenced Neo Soul, but it's definitely, I guess, to Pippa Butterfly, let's just say. Maybe you make the argument. Um, I think what makes Denzel exciting is the idea of, like you said, it's he's got a he's a really good rapper and the flows he uses he can apply to a lot of different places and what's fascinating is the fact of where 
you know, it's I think in hip hop traditionally you kind of have the idea of where, you know, the the goal is to kind of make your sound as mainstream as possible. And you kind of, you know, you drop the underground mixtapes, you get the fucking record that's fucking got like, you know, the DJ Khaled kind of guess on it. And it's kind of a little bit more white screen. Mike Dean is the one mixing it. And then you kind of go out there and you kind of, you know, from that point on, it's a matter of either bouncing between that mainstream sound or maybe that earlier mixtape sound. What I find fascinating about Denzel is the idea of where it feels like every record he tried to do something different. And it's kind of like cool the way it is where, you know, the beginning, it was very much like, all right, cool. You know, I'm doing a SoundCloud shit. It's going to be trappy. So the fucking, you know, everything is in the red in the fucking in the booth. I'm screaming half the time. Then he might do something like Zoo, where it's pretty much like a modern take on Miami bass music, but with like some kind of stuff behind it. And you've got this was another 180, where now it's almost like, you know, something you would have seen, like, you know, if Erica Badu hopped on the track, you would have been surprised. It's almost like the roots, kind of. And I think what's kind of fascinating about him is that he is one of the, you know, there was a, sh- a really terrible trend years ago around the Young Jeezy era where it's just like, you know, I'm not a rapper where nobody wanted to claim being an artist almost. It was like, it was, it was kind of like, I'm not an artist. I'm just out here. I'm grinding and making this money. And what's kind of fascinating about Denzel is that he's like definitely a fucking artist. He's somebody where it looks like he kind of approaches these fucking projects where it's like, I want to do this. I want to do this differently. I want to do that differently. I want to kind of put this in there. His videos for this project are all uh, like, let's say like Kill Bill, Kurokawa, like very Japanese influence type, like almost like, you know, like, um, like pop culture. He's, he's running around with like a samurai sword and like these robes and there's like a theme to it. It's just kind of cool because I think that it's nice having somebody kind of, and again, not just saying put the, push the art forward, forward with like a whole bunch of crazy flows and anything else, but it's like, hey, these corners are, of hip hop are very interesting. Let me play in this corner for a little bit. Maybe do a little neo soul. Let me do a little bit of fucking punk rap. Let me do a little bit of fucking Miami bass. And I think that's kind of keep that's all kind of fascinating. And like right now, it's it's I won't say it's gonna be like again. I'm still on that soul glow. But it's definitely a great record. And I think that, you know, knock on wood, it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of grows because he's kind of this, you know, it's effortlessly. It's like, this album's going to be, you know, I'm going to do a Neo Soul album and he has this thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of grows. And like I said, I, I don't want to heap too much praise because it sounds weird, but it's like, it reminds me of Radiohead, where it's like every new record is an opportunity to just tear everything up and try something new. And it's kind of fascinating to kind of see his career grow. And he's somebody where, and, Again, we look. We talk about it. A lot of those dudes he came up with, unfortunately, drugs took them away. But also, a lot of those dudes he came up with, they just kind of stayed doing the same shit over and over again. And I think that with Denzel, I don't know if it was internal or something. The fact that he's willing to, and I won't even say necessarily reinvent, but find new corners in hip hop to kind of play in, I think is why he's still around making these dope records. Yeah. So, props to him and. uh that calls it for this episode of the podcast we love y'all stay safe and when we get arrested on stage somebody please bail us out hit us up <laughs> on our paypal <laughs> cash app dude cash, cash app. app cash app uh, but anyway we love y'all we will be back next week we promise we, we, we pinky swear promise you know what I'm saying no CP time we'll try to make it on time and uh, thank you for listening peace Hey!